Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Today, our studio looks a little bit different, and that is because we are all 
packed up, uh, just got done with the World Deer Expo. We had basically our whole studio over there. And now it's all packed up in a Jacob's truck where he's going to be going to Kalamazoo, Michigan for the Mobile Hunters Expo Northern Show. So, uh, Jacob, how are you doing? Oh, doing well. Super excited. Um, the It's been so busy for us recently. Like, like probably... <laughs> Three weeks ago, four weeks ago, we had the Mobile Hunters Expo in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which was a fantastic show. Got to meet a bunch of listeners there. It was a great time hanging out with you all. Then, just this past weekend, uh, literally like five, four days ago, we had the World Air Expo in Birmingham, yep. which was insane. Absolutely insane. Uh, I thought I had talked myself out just how much I had talked at the Mobile Hunters Expo. Yep. As many listeners as we had to uh, the World Air Expo, it was, it was crazy. And yeah. then, literally four days later... Heading up to Michigan for the the Northern Show of the Mobile Hunters Expo, which is going to be an absolute blast. So it's, it's going to be even bigger than the Southern Show, which I can't even imagine how crazy it's going to be. We're uh, another room full of killers, man. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, so this past week we had old Sonny McCumpsey on from Arkansas. So we originally had Sonny on. Should have looked up the episode number. We always do this. Uh, Should have looked up the episode number. But we had him and Michael Baugh on a couple weeks ago. Month or I mean it was like early summer, wasn't it? I'll find it real quick. Um, I don't know, man. Time's flying. The summer's going by really fast. But we had we had those guys on from Arkansas. Got a lot of good feedback, and we, I mean, like halfway through the interview, we're like, yeah, we're, we need we need to get both of these guys on a show like individually and kind of pick apart their tactics, which we did do. So Michael's coming up in a couple weeks. Um, but Sonny was really interesting because of the terrain he hunts, the style he hunts. And uh, kind of go, like going a little bit deeper on the style, like how he likes to basically scout his way into spots and stuff like that, and and how much he moves around in the mountains, which that's something that we both found really interesting from his first episode, where he just kind of touched on it a little bit. He touched on you know trail camera use up in the mountains. He touched on uh, like going and finding scrapes. Um, he calls them pawns. And and basically his entire thought process behind hunting that so that was that was fun to pick that apart. Yeah, but was that episode so, number? So the episode uh, originally when we had both Michael Ball and Cinnamon McCumsey who are brother or her are cousins. That uh, was episode four eighty, which is a really good episode. I'd highly recommend listening to that episode uh, really before you listen to this week's episode with Sonny. And then we got Michael his cousin coming out mm-hmm. in the next couple weeks as well. Yep, uh, sometime in August. Both of them were just fantastic episodes. Great interviews. Um, but yeah, this episode, just be able to dive in more on some of Sonny's thoughts and tactics uh, has been pretty crazy. But uh, real quick before we dive in, yeah, the studio does look really weird because uh, like it's, it's so <laughs> packed up. It looks it looks kind of rough on camera. But uh, appreciate yeah, I mean, you, we were going to set it all back up, but then I walked outside and like you had everything like ratcheted into the back of your truck, and you were like, "All right, you ready to get this out?" I was like, "No, let's just throw the lawn chairs up." Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> let's do uh, what we can do. Yep, but uh, but. Kind of going back into this week's episode with Sonny, it was interesting to be able to get this guy on who really, one of the biggest things that I really like about Sonny is he truly is a still hunter. You know, uh-huh. it, it's almost like ground hunts first, and then if you find the right spot, then they bring the climber back in and set up a spot that you're going to maybe sit all day on later on. But, you know, most of the time he's on the ground, especially during that muzzler season in Arkansas where he's at. In, hunting in the mountains – and just th- there are so many different things that he talked about, which is slightly different than what we hear with a lot of people. One thing that I want to kind of get your thoughts on, he kind of mentions a little bit later on the episode, but his thought process of not really slip hunting up on top of the ridge, 
but he's getting down in oh, like yeah. the major drainages mm. and kind of watching back up each side of the ridge, uh, the ridge system uh, in those mountains, which I was like, that was not what I was expecting. I was expecting, you know, maybe get off the top third of the ridge where you kind of mm-hmm. see down a good ways, but you could also kind of see up towards the top. But he's like, no, nah, I really like to kind of stay low, and which is just different. I mean, it is it's so different. Like, you don't hear that from a lot of guys. Most guys are like, I want to get up high. I want to get up, you know, higher elevation, a little more steady wind conditions. But, no, he's like, you know, I'll, I'll get down low and freaking start cruising. Yeah, that was interesting. I didn't expect him to say that at all. And I don't think we've heard anybody else say anything like that, right? Not, I mean, not in his style of hunting. I mean, I think we've had guys on talking about hunting kind of lower in the drainages, like with a stand, but not slip hunting through those areas. Yeah. Where he's kind of like, he, you know, he's kind of getting in a spot where like he can watch. And what he says, what, what makes a lot of sense is where he's at, it seems like these are pretty steep drainages. So, you know, the guys, people on YouTube kind of watching, you know, there's steep enough drainages that when he's down kind of in the bottom, he can, like he said, he can look up two, 300 yards on each side of the ridge. Mm-hmm. And depending on the elevation, you know, yeah, you're not going to see towards the top of the ridges. You know, he's talking, you know, some of these areas I'm sure he's hunting, it's probably on the lower side, probably three to 400 feet of elevation, and maybe on the upper side, eight to maybe 900 feet of elevation change from the bobs to the top. Um, so, yeah, you're not seeing all the way to the top of the ridge. But if you think about it, if some of these areas specifically, if a lot of the pressure and axis maybe is from the top, this oh, makes yeah. this makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> that's, a- that's very true. I didn't think about that. What do you think about the thermals, too? Because if you're down... You're, if you're down in like one of those really narrow little valleys and it's shaded during the day, your thermals are probably just going to be kind of sitting down there. Depending on the falling. wind. Depending on the wind conditions. That's true. So if you're hunting, you know. If you're blocked from the wind for the most yeah, part. Yeah, if you're right before front hits and the wind speed's real high, you might have some pretty bad editing down there. But mm. another thing he mentioned is, he's like, yeah, the wind does that all the time. But I'm constantly kind of easing my way up. And he's like, it's never blowing one direction for super long. So my goal is to get it visual and see far enough that that sense not traveling way out in front of me or over to the sides. You know, if you can work with the wind in your face, but it's like mm-hmm. that time just wind hitting you in the back. But the thought process is, and this is what was smart about it, with him being that low, he's like, yeah, the wind hits me in the back of the head. It's going to go up the drainage, but I can see up each side of the ridge. I can see up to the left-hand side. I can see up to the right-hand side where probably my scent's not at. But yeah, my yeah. scent's out in front of me, but I'm not trying to kill a deer in front of me down low. I'm trying to kill the buck running that ridge line to my side and i'm like okay now you're talking that's like that's like another level of kind of like thought process when it comes to like hunting that kind of stuff and i was like okay now that kind of makes a little bit of sense now in addition to that you're talking about the being in the shade and falling thermals yeah if you're hunting one of those days where it's like light and variable conditions the exact same conditions that one of our past guests rusty johnson talks about loves hunting he loves hunting those ditches he hunts the head of those ditches in arkansas uh, kind of a little bit higher up, but he likes to hunt them on light and variable days. And for whatever reason, you know, light and variable days where it, like there's no, you know, wind speeds under two miles an hour, you don't necessarily know what the wind's going to do, but it seems like those bucks are cruising real high, you know, trying to catch those, those rising thermals, on, especially those sunny slopes, you know, the southern facing slopes, east facing slopes in the afternoon, those west facing slopes. But if he's down low like this, there's going to be a certain point, like you said, with the, uh, you know, with, whether it's overcast conditions, which would be awesome for cruising down low, for him to be down low, and also the bucks to be a little bit lower. Or again, if it's sunny, but he's able, sun, you know, sunny and sunny. Um, <laughs> if it's bright outside, 
and it's a little more shaded down there, like you said, as long as there's not a lot of wind, you know, his thermals are going to stay down low. But mm-hmm. even without that, even with a little bit of swirling wind, like what he's talking about, we're like, he's like, I don't think my wind's necessarily running up the ridge a whole bunch. It's going up and down the drainage back and forth, which is fine because I'm not expecting the deer, the bucks to be in the drainage. I think they're going to be up one hillside or the other. Yep. And I'm like, oh, dude, that, that that's the, that, that. kind of you, get your wheels turning you a little could, bit. You could go deep on that. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's all about getting that visual advantage too, I guess. You know, like he's just he he's putting himself in a spot where he can see and actually use like his gun to his advantage, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, that was a that was very interesting. You don't you don't hear that very often. No. And and I, it, it makes me really curious about what his woods look like because I was kind of thinking about doing like some of the woods that we've hunted. And how you'd make that work, and I don't think we have like big enough terrain, at least around here, to make that work. Like I feel like you got to have pretty big terrain and yeah. uh, a certain kind of woods. Yeah, too. yeah. I mean, a lot of hardwoods. It'd be hard to deal unless it's really mature pines, because you need open woods. Like you don't yeah. need crazy, crazy things. It'd be hard to do that anywhere with a bunch of pines, uh, especially that's been uh, thinned and slut cut. But if you're in an area like I, I was thinking, parts of North Georgia, maybe North Alabama especially eastern Tennessee, uh, North Carolina, uh, maybe upstate of North, South Carolina and some of that real kind of more mountainous stuff. Yep. Uh, Virgi- like true mountains. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. where yeah, yeah, that's where I, I think this would be a factor. Like, I think you need to have – kind of the number comes to mind. I think you need to have four to 500 feet of elevation change from the bottoms to the top uh, for that to really work good. Because if it's like 150 feet of elevation change, like stuff we may see here or parts of Tennessee or, I mean um, – you're going to be like, parts, they're going to be right on top of you. Yeah, well, they're going to be on top of you. And if that wind swirls, it can make it up that ridge. Yeah. Versus if you're like five, 600 feet of elevation, unless that wind is hitting, like rolling over the top of one ridge, like you're, you're walking in, say like you're walking that bottom to the north and each ridge runs north to south next to you. If you have like an east wind, this is going to eddy. It's going to swirl. And yep. It's going to be like a, like a whirlwind. But if you're working kind of north with like a quartering wind into your face, or even if it's at your back, there's a good chance if it's open enough woods on the side of those ridges to potentially be able to look up to the left and right and catch those bucks cruising uh, and potentially not bust you. Yeah. Also, um, he's like a he's like a true still hunter, and there's a lot of confusion around the term still hunting yeah. too. And this is something that we got a little bit with uh, Daniel Lemon's episode talking about still hunting because uh, we covered a little bit of that on his episode as well. But still hunting is not where you're just standing still, right? Yeah, you should call it slip hunting. Yeah. That's what a lot of people down here actually do call it, is slip hunting. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're out slip hunting. And if you're going squirrel hunting without a dog, you're slip hunting. You're slip hunting. You're just slip what's, what's, what's Mr. Brennan call it? Slip hunting. Yeah. Yep. That's what he that's what he calls it. Go, going out and slip hunting. But you got to, you know, I think it's also a, a testament to how slow he's going. Because mm-hmm. if you really think about it, like put yourself mentally right there in that valley and you're easing down that valley, watching up both sides. Think about how slow you'd have to actually be going to catch a buck above you walking where he doesn't notice you and you notice him. Think about how slow you have to be going. Or in Sonny's case, a lot of times, sometimes they do see you, they catch a little bit of move, but they don't necessarily know what it was. Mm-hmm. And also, I think advantage of being down low is slightly more shadows to potentially kind of work with. Yeah. Versus being up on an exposed bridge line doing this or, or hillside. Definitely not getting skyline. Definitely not getting skyline for sure. Um, and he talked about having, you know, good camouflage, which could play a huge part in this, um, you know, just kind of slipping through. But, you know, even if they bump them, it, it kind of goes into another point of, like the calling aspect. 
which to me is what gets me super excited about this conversation. I think the most exciting thing about this conversation was his thought process on if he runs into some deer, whether he thinks it's just a group of does, whether he thinks he saw a buck or for sure he saw a buck, if they kind of start easing off or running off, he's doing that crazy call thing. You know, he's kicking the ground, he kicking leaves up, shaking, shaking saplings, grunting like it's a buck in there, like an aggressive buck that potentially bumped these other deer off. And maybe that commotion, maybe it doesn't bring that specific buck back. But like he had mentioned, he's like, I don't know if I'm calling the same buck back or if there's another buck in the air that slips down. But typically, if he does that and he's in the right spot, within three to five minutes, he's having a, that buck or another buck come slipping in, checking out what's going on, and that's when he gets a shot. Yeah, I found that super interesting. And, and like I said on the episode with him, um, a lot of times when you run into those deer, there's more deer around. And so you might call in a totally different deer, and you're almost using the deer that are like running around and causing a commotion as a call in and of itself, you know? Yeah. That's slick. Yeah, <laughs> I that's, like that. That's your ground noise for you. Yep. I mm-hmm. mean, but... That's the the advantage of what he was talking about with slip hunting or steel hunting, uh, as other people may would call it, um, is you're on the ground so you can make the ground noise you can't make when calling in a tree stand or yep. in a saddle when you're elevated. Um, like the kicking the leaves, and it's kind of funny how you brought the whole story, how you broke your toe kicking that stump. <laughs> Dude, my toe ain't ever been the same. No. It's still it's still kind of crooked. It still kind of hurts. I think we should have just amputated it. Probably. Well, yeah. I don't know. I heard that if you lose your big toe, you can't stand right or whatever. It screws up your balance. Dude, man, I, when I kicked that thing for real, I hit the ground like 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 some like a sniper shot me. I mean, dude, I just I went down, bro. It was bad. It was, hurt. was I hunting out there the same yeah. day? Yeah, you. Yeah. That was the day. It was raining. That's oh, why. That's it, yeah. yeah that's, you were out there in your waders and your freaking. That day sucked. Yeah, so bad. Well, it sucked worse for me. Well, yeah, it did suck worse for you. But yeah, <laughs> I, I was hunting opening day gun season, Alabama. You were going through some ponds. I was going through, slipping through some other ponds. Kind of like what, you know, he was talking about, kind of what Sonny was talking about. You know, we're in mountainous terrain, but, you know, gentle rolling hill terrain. And we were oh, we yeah. were slipping through some ponds that traditionally we wouldn't hunt, but there's deer sign there. And we were thinking. And we had talked to some guys who'd seen some bucks cruising through those ponds. Yeah, absolutely. Even though they're like, they're open ponds, they're open underneath. At mm-hmm. the time they were. They're a lot bigger now. Um, but at the time they're open underneath, they're big enough to get a saddle in like if you wanted to climb like eight feet yeah it's in that weird stage where there's kind of like nothing going on in there but the bucks are still cruising through there because there was some major terrain features that are kind of funneling through me and jt threw a camera out or jt threw a camera out and i checked it with him he had a couple daylight walkers like nice deer in there yeah and that's the thing uh not to get sidetracked with the conversation about sunny but that's the thing about some of that habitat even though that area doesn't have like especially when we hunt it, it looks totally different now because this is probably four years ago, um, three three or four years ago. It was uh, right before I got married. Yeah, because we were, I was I was we were going on our, on my bachelor trip. Oh yeah, that night we were, at and the, I was upset because we were going not hunting on my bachelor trip. I, know. I was like, come on guys, we could have planned this better. Well, I'll, listen, I was trying to do this deep sea fishing trip, and the other guys didn't want to do it. Colton, so oh my anyway. god. But yeah, dude, we went to Biloxi, Mississippi. Went to the Hard Rock Cafe and casino. Dude, bro, and not, casino. Not my scene at all. Yeah, Hard Rock Hotel. Well, not cafe. Hard Rock Hotel 
and the casino. It was a fun time, guys. Yeah, Andrew's not in his environment, but it was an absolute blast. I was, I was like a fish out of water. <laughs> but my dude, we were right there at the beach. Like, dude, we could have gone, could have gone on a charter trip or something. But no, the guys didn't want to do it, man. Yeah, that, I would, I would have went fishing. I wouldn't have been. Yeah, I mean, I, I, fishing would have been fun. But yeah, I just remember you hobbling. Dude. We were down at the casino, and Andrew's hobbling around. He's looking like he needs a walker. Dude, it hurts. There was old women in that casino getting around better than me. Yeah. Like, for real. You know, like, there's all, all the old ladies playing, like, the penny, penny slots. Penny slots. Oh, yeah. They <laughs> smoking had, cigarettes. Had, had, had their uh, big old plastic cup full of pennies, dude, and they're walking around <laughs> shaking them. Like, oh, oh yeah, we're cashing yeah. out, baby. Oh, my uh, gosh. But, no, kind of going back into this hunt, though, this is a really good point. Kind of going, where like, Sonny's talking about, like, these open woods. Like, in certain areas, bucks will go through open woods, but the open woods, it seems like, in my opinion, maybe get your thought on, talk, or thought on this, is the open woods that people don't hunt. When, I, when mm. Some people think of open woods, they think of hardwoods. Like, it's yeah. pretty hardwood bottoms. Like, what Glenn Solomon talked about in 116, episode 116, you know, don't hunt those pretty bottoms. I, I agree. But another type of open woods that we have down here in the southeast that's almost unhuntable because guys can't take tree stands in there, and some guys just aren't going to sit on the ground, is those pines that are in that age range of, say, 10 to 15 years old. Mm-hmm. That age range where, like, yeah, you could get a lock on it. You can't get a climber in that stuff. You can get a lock on in some of those trees. You can get a saddle in it. You can get up 8, 10 feet. Yeah. But there's so many limbs. It's like there's so many limbs you can't really hunt out of it because if you climb more than like 8 feet, you can't see anything. But if you're at 8 feet, you're completely exposed. Yep. But there's those areas always have a ton of sign. And you think it's a nighttime sign. And then you find out, you start talking to some guys. And I know there's a listener of the podcast right now, probably watching this YouTube video, who I know for sure has shot, and I think he might have killed, but I know he shot, and I don't think he recovered a big buck at this exact same spot we're talking about. Yeah. Exact same spot. Yep. Um, And he was slip hunting through these pines. Yep. Clear bluebird day. I think it was clear, you know, clear skies. And happened to catch one of these cruising bucks coming through these wide open pines. But the thing about these areas, since it's not easy to get tree stands in, you can't really hunt with tree stands, some guys will pass through it going to like, say like an SMZ, like a, like a creek bottom or something like that. But they're not hunting in there, and the bucks feel comfortable cruising through that general area, okay? Mm-hmm. Which, again, is open woods. I mean, some of that stuff you could see 200 yards in probably, if you get yeah, in the right spot. If you Yeah, if you sit on the ground, I don't know, 200 might be stretching it. Uh, in some You could see up to other hillsides. Like, yeah, you could see the other hillside if you sat on the ground, but if you got... If you got in your saddle and you got eight feet up, you wouldn't be able to see but like twenty yards. Yeah, because I tried that before, and like I could see a little bit further than that because I got on a little hilltop, but like I could see maybe eighty yards. Mm-hmm. But like if you would have sat on the ground, you could see hundred and forty yards probably. Yeah, because it's like that in the stages. Like something gets clear cut, and mm-hmm. it's like open, pretty open ground for a year. There might be some sage grass yeah. and stuff out there, and then it gets a little bit thicker year two, a little bit thicker year three, year four. Your pines are starting to creep up. You yeah. know, they're starting to get some size to them. Year five and six, those pines are getting big enough to where now it's getting kind of hard to gun hunt that cutover. You know, oh, you pro- you really can't at that age. Yeah. It's the super hard. Depends on the site, but yeah, like they're getting big enough where there's only going to be little holes that you can see stuff in. Yeah, and then from like, I don't know, like five to like eight ish years then it just turns into like a good bedding area that's, you can hunt the edges of yeah it. that's a pine th- that's what we like when i think of like a legit pine thicket that's one of the first things that come to mind is that that like i said five to eight nine years old yeah you know again depends on where you're at but especially around us we're like you're not really getting in there or if you can like i don't know how well you can do i know mike pike's my podcast he's talking about you know getting opportunities and some stuff like that off the ground yeah i mean but, i've ran i've run cameras in there and if you could if you could hunt it, 
you'd have some opportunities. But you're talking like seven, eight yards. Honestly, the perfect way to hunt that would be find a spot where you can get a little bit of distance, like 15 yards off of whatever like trail intersection or whatever you're going to be watching scrape. inside the thicket. Put a scrape there and hunt it with one of those uh, like see-through blinds. What is it? Like the Primos? Uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what's the, it called? What is that stuff called? I don't know, but it's like the blind. It's like the 360 blind that you pop get in, blind. and it's a pop-up blind, but you can. it's like one-way mesh, so you can see out of it 360 around you, but you know from the outside, it just looks like a pop-up blind, yeah. and get that in there. Dude, that would slow. Oh, and speak about slay. another guest topic that would work in there, especially if you're in a club where you can trim some stuff, uh, use Richard Mannery's. Uh, tactic, which is, I need to look at this, but Richard Manor, he was on the podcast back in January or back in the springtime. That's a guy, guys, you need to go back and listen to this episode. If I can find the episode number, um, he's talking about not necessarily doing this with ground blinds, but getting in those pines that typically like you can't hunt in and he's finding like a single, whether it's an Oak, a, a lot bigger pine, there's something there that he can get a tree stand in or actually now he's using a saddle one sticking and climbing that stuff, find a tree you can climb in, and then cut a shooting lane where you're just trimming off those branches, going out for like 60 to 80 yards out, yep. almost making a path that deer can follow towards your stand. Stop it just before your stand, like maybe 10 yards out, and it kind of make it veer around the stand, but it gives you an opportunity for a deer to hit that walkway, that path, and come yeah. to you. But you can do the same thing with the pop-up blind as well, and he talked about that. He's mm-hmm. like, yeah, if you want to use pop-up blind, that would probably work really good in that same situation on a club or private land where yep. you can go through and trim – like legit trim the branches where you can make a path that's, you know, a row wide or so, uh, where you trim maybe like pines or limbs on each side of the pine tree as it kind of goes out and you get, you know, like a six to eight foot wide opening yep. that runs out 50, 60 yards, um, and, and give you an opportunity to catch those deer kind of easing through there and it'd be a great place to put a mock scrape at too. Yeah, um, definitely. But where I'm kind of getting at this, uh, let's see, how do you spell Mandry? M-A-N-R-Y. Mandry. No, but I, that would be oh. so that in that um, like time period, like that six to nine years. So that's when it's like good bedding and it's going to be like slam full of deer. Yeah. Then, like ten years plus, it's gonna it starts kind of shading out. And that's when they start bedding. They'll still use it, but it's like summer bedding. Yeah. Bed in the shade because that's where I've jumped a lot of bachelor groups. Yep. And then also come season, even in those bigger those older ponds, when you get start get that ten to twelve year range, it's maybe not thick in them. Unless you find an area that's like dead, like maybe like mm-hmm. the trees didn't grow well, you got a glade there, you've got something there that like doesn't, didn't allow the trees to grow and you have a thick spot in the middle of it. Or the other thick cover is like if you have like the, the tip of an SMZ, like a drainage that comes up into it and stops. Oh, yeah. And the trees can't grow there very well. That spot, you could find a really thick spot that a buck could bed at or some does could bed at. Yep. Just on the adjacent, just next to those open pines, but they're not actually in the pines itself. Yeah. And then that's when it becomes that, that stage of pines where people can't climb in it. Uh, nobody's putting like ladder stands or stuff like that in it. And it's just kind of like the open woods that people don't hunt, it's, like you were talking about earlier. It's the stuff that uh, Glenn Solomon talked about in episode 116. Again, we mentioned this episode all the time, guys, uh, where you can... He talked about going into some of these pine spots. This is like what we're talking about. But he's carrying a bar stool in with him mm-hmm. where, you know, you'll have like some sage grass and stuff growing up uh, or broom sedge. I keep saying sage, but broom sedge mm-hmm. uh, growing underneath it, which is a, a type of uh, sedge grass. And he'll get like two and a half, three feet high, you know, sitting on his bar, bar stool up against a tree 
where he can see over that grass, but he can, he's still underneath the the, uh, the limb canopy. Yep. So he can still see out from there and be able to get shot opportunities, whether it's with a bow, whether it's with a rifle, muzzler, it doesn't matter. But real quick, Richard Mannery's episode, which is a must-listen-to episode, especially, guys, if you're hunting hunting clubs, leases, family farms, and private land where you can do some stuff on, is episode 464, Hunting Big Flatland Whitetails with Richard Mannery. He's from Alabama, and his success on clubs and leases is tremendous, especially in areas with a lot of pines. And that's an episode, guys, is a must-listen-to episode in episode 464. But um, using that in some of these areas would work. But where I'm kind of getting back at, and kind of we've talked around it a little bit, with those open pines, those 10 to 12, almost 15 years old pines, depending on where you're at, is an excellent spot to go slip hunt through, in my opinion, down here in the southeast, especially on those rainy, drizzly days. Yep. Like, especially if you have an area that's like, you know, 100 plus acres of that stuff that you can really kind of ease yourself through. It doesn't even have to be that big, but if it's, you know, if it's a 100 acre spot, that's pretty awesome. If it's 50 acres, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. 20 acres, that's great. 10 acres, you can do it. But go super slow and work your way through that stuff and start looking for scrapes while you're going through. Look for rubs. You're going to find rubs and you're going to find scrapes in that stuff. I guarantee you will. And yeah. you can start putting your Onyx, put your tracker on on Onyx so you know exactly where you walked and drop pins when you find all that sign. If you find that hot sign, especially some scrapes that maybe like a huge scrape that, you know, has rained, there's some leaves in it or some pine straw in it and they haven't worked it, get off that sucker 40, 50 yards. If you can see it, set up for a little bit. And sit on the ground. Whether oh. you're bow hunting or rifle hunting, I think you could have success bow hunting if you get in the right spot. I just got um, so one of our buddies, Pat Newcomb from uh, Newcomb Blind, um, he gave me one of his blinds to use for this year, and I'm going to use it in one of these spots like that, both bow hunting and gun hunting. Whereas that pine trees, that if you sit on the ground, there's not a lot of cover, but you pop that, that little blind right in front of you. It's, oh yeah, it's a little like a frame little blind that sits right in front of you guys, um, and, and use it. I think it would. I think it would work absolutely fantastic in that application yeah it's perfect for that kind of thing honestly uh that right there is like my favorite that that was probably my favorite subject of the episode with sunny was talking about walking walking your way in finding that hot sign and being like okay and backing off and hunting it right then and there like till dark because that that is one thing i don't remember who the first person was that actually brought that up on the podcast but i don't I don't think there's another single tactic that like worked for me as fast as that did. Like where someone on Monday or whenever we interviewed him is like, Hey, this is what I like to do. And then like Saturday I go out and it, and it just freaking works because you, you are, you're scouting and hunting at the same time. And you're not, you're not wasting any time. You know, you're walking until you find what the good stuff is. And that's also a really good way to gauge what the good stuff in your area is. Cause like, eventually you're going to find what you need to be hunting and you know sometimes you hunt it sometimes you keep going thinking you're going to find something better but you'll learn pretty quick like what the good stuff is you know yeah um but that also goes into your first time in is your best time in and uh glenn solomon episode glenn solomon we just quote the heck out of it today but first time in is the best time in and you're walking in you found that like where the deer just were and you're like they're still here and then you back off and you hunt it and a lot of times it works out and another thing, get one of those spots, even if it's kind of open woods, and I'm talking, this is not rifle hunting, not the bow, or the rifle. If you can, I, if you find one of those spots where you have two or three huge scrapes and mm-hmm. look, bunches of big looking branches, maybe some big rubs close by too, and you're like, dude, this is hot. And like, maybe like it's in one of these pine, like again, example down here for the guys in the deep south, 
one of these 12 year old pine kind of thickets where like you can still walk through it like there's not all there's there'll be patches of briars but it's not a lot of briars it's a lot of pine straw you can kind of ease your way through it like you're not really brushing up against a whole bunch of stuff if you find that and there are spots that come to mind right now where i know it's exactly like this and you find where there's always some big scrapes in there mm-hmm. if i was gonna call anything like that yeah i'd back up 60 80 yards as far as as far back as you can get where you can still see that sign and set up on the ground Use your little blind, brush yourself in, sip against some trees, sip against a little backdrop, a little ridge, a little hillside, whatever, um, and do some calling there. Make some ground noise. Now, it's hard to make ground noise in pine straw. It, it really is. Yeah. But breaking sticks, like not trying to be quiet, breaking sticks, almost like you're making a big licking branch or something like that, like uh-huh. you're working working a tree. Maybe Grab a tree and shake do, it. Do, do, do some grunt. Maybe not rattle. You know, you can rattle some. Uh, you can listen to Richard Fodd's episode about rattling, but definitely doing some grunts. And keeping your eyes freaking peeled, paying attention, watching for movement. I think there's a really good chance you catch a buck slipping downwind of that, especially you get the wind in oh, your yeah. face, and giving you a great shot opportunity mm-hmm. with a gun, muzzler, or maybe even a bow. I mean, maybe. I, I mean, some of you guys, a lot of you guys listen to the podcast a lot better bow hunter than I am, so you might be able to have success doing that. But I think that would work really well because, again, it's an area, to give you all some more reference, there's not any hunting pressure because nobody's comfortable walking to those pines yep. and sitting on the ground, especially during bow season or even come gun season. They want to sit on a power line. They want to sit on an open you know, field. They want to sit on a big creek bottom, something where they can see for a long ways or a big clear cut. Yeah. But if you can find that, you get away from the hunting pressure and those deer are used to having other bucks in that area. So when they hear that sound, I, I, I feel like we're going to have somebody that could have success using that this fall. Yeah, I I agree. I th- it's a great tactic. And that actually reminds me of a place on the club that I marked last year. I, I've known about it for over a year now. And I think I've, I've briefly walked through there one time, and it's that kind of stuff. It's it's pines that are open but, underneath. Were we turkey hunted and got on the bird in the, the knife edge ridges? Where did we get on the bird? last time no 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 no. Oh, okay that Not place there. that would work really good there though that that i'm gonna have some it, cameras right there but it's that kind of pines like those pines are probably yeah. probably 14 15 years old yeah there's another spot that actually is like that you remember where uh where i had that camera right next to the road and i had those dogs chasing a big buck by it yeah those pines and if you go down in there oh. there's a major hub okay so there's like a major hub that comes up and dude there's just all there's like four different hubs that kind of all come together right there and you can get in the bottom of this one hub and you're watching it and then but one of the offshoots that comes off of this thermal hub goes like runs up into another thermal hub that just connects like so many there's like five saddles right there and they all dump into that one spot and i think i'm going to go in there to the lower hub and cut just cut like a really good shooting lane all the way up that bottom so i can see all the way up it's like 150 yards into that other hub and be hunting that because it's the same kind of pines like you can't really get get in them get like you'll have no advantage like getting up in a tree in there whatsoever because it's it's really a rifle spot if you if you found a spot to bow hunt which i really wouldn't bow hunt in there you you could get in a tree but for rifle hunting it doesn't make any sense and i'm like and, and nobody else in that club is going to do that. Nobody else is going to be. They're going to sit the food plot below it. And Peep, there, there is a food plot below it. Yeah, yeah. you know exactly where I'm talking yeah. about. And that food plot is hunted. There's a nice SMZ down there. It's got white oaks, persimmons, everything. So I'm, dude, I was salivating over that spot like yesterday or whenever because I was. I, I need to go out there. I still got cameras out there. I got to get. So I got to go get those cameras and start moving them around. But I, for a rut spot, dude, 
I'm pretty excited about that yep. spot. But again, I, that's why I, I bring this up with about what Sonny talked about slip hunting, is you can definitely do this in the southeast, even in areas with pines. It's just you got to find the right area to do it in, and the mm-hmm. right kind of habitat. It could be completely flat land, but especially if you have a little bit of rolling topography, like there's a, you know, fifty to sixty foot elevation change. Yeah. N- not necessarily in the pines, but in the general area where it drops down to the creek. I think this would work really well in those kind of pines, slipping through those pines. With, again, you can take a bow with you. You can take a rifle, muzzle it, or whatever. Bro, do it in squirrel season, man. Yeah, you got to catch all those squirrels and that stuff. What are you talking about? Like, go. I'm, I'm talking about, like, practicing your slip hunting and oh, stuff. Oh, okay. Well, go, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, go. I had a guy at the Deer Expo this weekend that came up, and he said that he started squirrel hunting a whole bunch and how much it helped him. And I was like, I need to get you on the podcast. We might have interviewed him. I can't remember. Um we got an episode coming out from the deer expo but that dude there's no better way there's no better way to sharpen those those still hunting skills because you're like if you just go out and start doing it cold turkey like you're probably you're you're probably gonna suck at it you know um and you don't want to go out there and screw it up on a big buck and most people squirrel season opens well in advance of deer season so go out squirrel hunt man and and hone those those still hunting skills because it's gonna it's gonna teach you how to slip through the woods quietly it's gonna teach you what kind of stuff spooks game i.e like don't bump into saplings that's like a huge one that i learned like at a very young age you know out slip hunting around for squirrels by myself is like if i'm if i'm putting a stalk on a squirrel and i bump into a sapling like he's gone because it's just like a flag waving shaking making noise and you know like that can be seen way off through the woods like you know it doesn't have to be a squirrel up in a tree um but like how to how to how to pick up movement with your eyes through the woods because like i don't even know how many deer i've walked up on slip hunting for squirrels yeah you know also by the way we did an episode on this yes to travis murray yes we did there's an episode on this exact topic we're talking about with andrew talking about like the value of squirrel hunting and learning woodsmanship and slip hunting and how it yeah. directly will apply to whitetail hunting. And that was with Travis Murray, one of the most popular guests we've had on the podcast. Uh, that actually came out uh, last year in 2022. It's episode 398, Becoming a True Woodsman with Travis Murray. And he talked about this. His, you know, His first passion was squirrel hunting growing up. And that directly applied to how he was able to, to learn to slip hunt on the ground and actually have success shooting his bow and killing bucks off the ground with his bow hmm. uh, in the deep south, specifically in Mississippi. So that, that that's something definitely worth paying attention to um, and and looking at. And maybe, like you said, going out there and applying that. Plus, it, it teaches you some marksmanship skills, especially if you're hunting with a 22 and trying to do headshots. Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, you want to talk about the Deer Expo a little bit? Well, actually, before we do that, uh, let's see. Okay, yeah, before we do that, um, also going back to Sonny's episode – one other thing I was going to mention, like the calling off the ground mm-hmm. and, and like these pines we're talking about. Now, I've mentioned this a couple times on the podcast, but I'm going to mention the same story again. There was a situation, the same spot I'm thinking of, where there's a huge community scrape in these, I don't know how old the pines are now. They're probably, they're probably at that 11, they're probably 12 years old right now, 11, 12 years old. Um, but there is, there is a huge community scrape out in these pines on a water oak sapling. Uh, water okay. at the time when I found it, it was probably maybe slightly smaller than my wrist in size. Um, and I've told the story before, but I found this community scraper as I was kind of just easing through slip hunting with my bow, going to go just check these ponds. I was kind of walking around before a gun hunt, you know, a few days before, just kind of, you know, look and see what it looked like. Cause I hadn't been in this area in a while. When I found this, uh, community scrape, there were so many rubs going to it and they had five intersecting trails all coming to this community scrape. And it was like this little opening inside these ponds where it's like, 
not say opening, slightly less canopy cover. <laughs> you had some of that uh, sedge, that broom sedge growing around this area, the 20-yard gap. And I got there, and it had been freshly worked. This, I mean, huge scrape, giant scrape, big-looking branches. And I was messing with it. I'm, I, I was messing with the uh, the water, the water oak, because I was trying to bend some bigger branches down and give them some more licking branches because I only had one sitting there. And as I'm doing it, it's calm, zero wind, high pressure day. Sun's coming through, just a rising thermal, ripping thermal going up through these ponds. It was real cool that morning. I had it warmed up by this time. It's probably 9:30 in the morning. And originally, I had actually set up on the ground bow hunting. Is and, this uh is this over by uh, the bus stop? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yes, it gotcha. is. So, um, I originally was hunting in these ponds that morning because yeah. I knew there was a couple of scrapes close to the road section uh, of this piece of public uh, where they were kind of parallel on the road. So I sat there, didn't see anything that morning up until like nine thirty. I was like, man, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, just, I'm gonna move. I'm gonna get in here. And as I was walking, I was just following the trails. And again, there's scrapes everywhere, rubs everywhere, but it was kind of sporadic. Got to that spot where all these trails came together and found the scrape. You know, long story short, I was messing with one of these branches. And I was reaching up. Grabbing these branch, grabbing a big branch, I was pulling it down, and I'm making all kinds of racket. You know, it's, yep. it's kind of cracking and popping, and just you sound like a big old butt. There's still there's leaves on the tree still, and uh, this is kind of uh, this would be that late pre rut time frame, mm-hmm. still pre rut, but late pre rut. I was reaching up there, and I was like, it was almost like I was shaking this branch. I was trying to bend it down. I finally was getting bent down, and I barely get bent in position, and all I hear is just this freaking running coming right at me okay and i've told this <laughs> on said, who's on my scrape yeah i've told this on the podcast before and i'm like holy crap <laughs> <coughs> and um I, I was i was like dude i'm like there's a deer coming at me so i spin around and it was coming directly behind me in a direction i hadn't come from i had my back to this spot kind of where there's a the the roll the elevation kind of dropped down into like not really an smz but like a little thicker bottom in these pines and I, I drop down to a knee and knock an arrow as this deer's running towards me. And all I see is legs and hoofs coming running through the pines. Cause I can't see anything above, like, you know, barely the brisket on this deer. It gets into probably 25 yards and stops. And at this point I'm fully drawn back. Cause I'm like, I can't shoot this thing unless it gets like 15 yards or less. Yeah. Uh, Cause I just, I couldn't see in this one spot and I, it stops. I catch a bit ahead and I'm like, what? I'm like, it's gotta be a buck. And at that point, I guess it could see me clearly, probably like kind of <laughs> like kneeling down next to the scrape. Uh, Cause I had no chance to get it to a tree or any kind of cover and it blows deep blow turns. And when it runs off, I can see like, I'm now I'm like on the ground kneeling. Cause I wasn't kneeling right when I was running and it kind of got down later and uh, I can see bases and I can see like big bases on the deer, but I couldn't see brow tines or anything like else like that. I could see just, you know, the base of those antlers. As he turned and ran off, I'm like, son of a gun, dude. And uh, mm. long story short, I found a tree. I got in there with a, cl- with a lock on, kind of hunting around that scrape and didn't have any success there. But it was just that subtle noise of me s- definitely sounding like a buck working that scrape, throwing his antlers up and really working that licking branch and just knocking leaves around. Got him fired up and ran into that spot. And more than likely, that buck had worked that scrape this morning, that morning, had a big, had a big paw print hoof print in it and probably went back to bed and he was, probably wasn't bedded more than probably 50 yards from me uh when he turned to run in and uh it was a good l- lesson for me i'm like the deer are in these pines it's hard to see the sign other than buck sign it's hard to see uh tracks in pines because yeah. of all the pine straw yeah you can see droppings you know you can see rubs and scrapes in it 
but you don't get to see the tracks. And that's something that we always try to pick in on accepting those scrapes. It's the only place you can see them. And that was just such a big lesson. That's one of those spots, especially going into this season, you know, we get the right conditions, you know, some wind or even one of those calm days, I'll probably go slipping some of that stuff. Yeah. Maybe it's not like a big enough area. I can really slip around a whole bunch in. Like I'm not walking crazy, 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 like a lot in this area, but I can set up in some of those spots where traditionally the last few years I've always found these big scrapes at and just hold tight and just try to catch a buck slipping through some of that stuff and doing some doing some calling in. Yeah, that that's exciting. You could potentially kill a really big deer right there. Mm-hmm. Really big deer. Um, you know, that that's a spot that, that us and some other people we know have had a lot of history with, like when it comes to big deer. Like several different groups of people too, you know, like different groups of hunters that we know. That That's kind of interesting. Um, by the way, we talked about that scouting trip last time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We found the camera. Mm-hmm. We found out that camera belonged to none other than Scott Seals, the man himself. <laughs> has has Andrew's britches in, in the uh, yep. in one of his photos, which is hilarious. <laughs> oh, that is funny, man. Yep. How, y'all were talking about it at the show, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. We yeah we talked about it at the World Deer Expo, and because uh, I hadn't send it, I told him I was going to send an Onyx pen of where we were at, but I'm like, man, I'm going to see him this weekend. I'll just, I'll show him when we get there. And we start t- start talking, describing it. He's like, where were you at again? And I was like. <laughs> Yeah, you know, here, here, came down this road, you know, dropped into this and bottom, blah, 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 blah. He's like, man, I got I got some cameras in that area. I'm like, really? I'm like, we walked right by a camera. He's like, hold on a second. He's like, what were y'all wearing? I'm like, you know, I kind of told him what I was wearing, what you were wearing. You had brown pants. I was like, I think I got Andrew on camera. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, he's in that creek bottom right there about those big water oaks. And you got like a little like saddle coming out of it. He's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. We were yep. right. We walked right past you. And I'm like, hey, dude, I told him, he told him, I told him at the show, I was like, man. We found two mega buck beds, not 150 yards from their back of another SMZ. He's like, he's like, I had two real big deer in there last year. He's like, it might, be, it might be them. I'm like, all right, cool, okay, yeah, yeah. That's man, that spot. It was funny because there were so many tracks right there. I was like, God, this spot's so awesome. And I'm standing there looking at all these tracks. Found another <laughs> scrape, and I look up, and there's a camera like eight feet in front of me. I was like, crap. <laughs> yep. So, which is hilarious, but yeah. So Scott Seals, oh Scott, great minds think alike. Yeah, getting in there, man. I was like, Scott, I'm, you done told us too much, man. No. I'm finding your spots. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, it's kind of hilarious. He's like. We started talking about it. He's like, oh, yeah, I've, he's like, I got a camera there. I got a camera there. I'm like, damn, bro. I'm like, every day I'm looking at you, you're looking at it too. I'm like, that's hilarious. <laughs> but it's cool because the thing is, is like, you know, we're taking like what we learned from Scott and, and and clearly we hunt a lot of the same areas anyways, but um, just kind of putting the pieces yeah. together, but, but putting the pieces together for ourselves of like where to try to find some of these bucks. Yeah. You know, after like having on the podcast a bunch of times and actually seeing some of these spots, I'm like, okay, this makes more sense now. Mm-hmm. Like I can see how I can take like what I've learned and apply it to other areas and potentially try getting to some of the same stuff, like hunting those feed trees, hunting those SMZs, going up to those clear cuts and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's got such a good guy too. Like he, he's like always willing to share. Uh, it was a blast having him at the expo, by the way. Uh, yeah. He was, he was in the booth for a while. Speak about the expo. Yeah, man. We uh we had him and Shane Parker come by and they had badges and everything. They hung out, they hung out in the booth for a long time, dude. There were some guys there that I talked to who were like thrilled to meet Scott. Yeah, and Scott looked like he had some fun, man, talking yeah. to people. <laughs> like it was it was crazy, dude. Like those guys, they stayed pretty tied up, like talking to people just like we did. So it was kind of neat having them in the booth and guys coming by and they're like. 
And I'm like, hey, you know, this, this is my buddy Scott Seals. And they're like, you're Scott from the podcast? <laughs> you know? And they'll like, you know, and then and then them and Scott will talk for like 25 minutes. That's you awesome. Know, just about all kinds of stuff. Dude, I'll tell you what was hilarious too. So uh, also at the show was Daniel uh, Daniel Lemon and uh, almost a Daniel Williams, which who was at the show too, our taxidermist uh, from Cedar Ridge Chronicles. But uh, Daniel Lemon and Jeremy Aaron from Duke Yourself Hunter was at the expo. They had a booth a couple, couple rows over from us. Uh, but, dude, there was a point on Saturday, Daniel was just hanging out in our booth, and I swear, him and Shane oh, they hit were, it off. were burning down the freaking barn, dude. <laughs> just like, they're ha- back there just talking to you. I'm like, every time I was talking to the listener, I turn around, I'm like, y'all are still talking, man? I'm like, I'm like, Daniel, I'm like Daniel, you ain't even at your booth. You let, left Jeremy high and dry, man. But, uh, but, no, that was super fun having everybody there, dude. And it was so busy, man. It was so busy. It was awesome seeing all you listeners that came to the show. Yep. I mean, there's, I mean, an untold number of you guys that came by the show and just hung out and talked deer stories. And some of y'all uh, were willing enough to join us on the podcast. And we did a did a whole podcast episode specifically on listeners and what some of you guys have learned uh, from the podcast from different guests and different topics on the show. And it was fascinating because some of the guys have had tremendous success using things that they've learned from the show other guys are still trying Mm -hmm. to figure it out and it was kind of cool getting that dynamic of like people with different backgrounds on the show and you know how it's impacted them directly or or how they're like focusing on different aspects of the show and different things that they've learned from the show to then go out and use i'm telling you my favorite story i've told this story a thousand times i feel like since the oh my gosh you're like a broken record man i've heard this so many times jacob gave this spiel so many times at the expo it is my favorite story of all times and it's a kid named uh, tracy brooks uh 22 years old listener of the podcast and I'm just, I'm sure Tracy, you're probably listening to podcasts, probably going to be thrilled to be talking about you. But, uh, dude, I appreciate <laughs> him coming by the booth. Yeah. I've never met someone of his age that has gotten so into deer hunting in such a short amount of time and had the success he had. Yeah, gotten good fast. After using stuff in the podcast. So, his story, I'll mention on the podcast, uh, at 20 years old, he's 22, at 20 years old, back in 2020, um, he's working with his boss and his boss said, if you work with me all fall, you know, I'll take you deer hunting unless you shoot your first deer. And he did. And his boss took him to his hunting club and got his first deer. He shot a spike or three point, just, you know, a, a younger buck and got kind of the itch to go hunting. So got a gun, got the whole nine yards and started hunting some permission properties in 2021. And he struck, you know, he talked about, he struggled. He, re- he didn't really find any success, really didn't see a whole bunch of deer. Well, at the beginning of 2022, at some point early in 2022, he had heard about the show, started listening to the show, and started really taking notes and applying what he was learning from the show, specifically on transition edges between those hardwoods and pines and finding that secondary transition edge, that subtle transition edge that like guys like uh, Greg uh, Staggs uh, in episode 128, or I'm sorry, 129 talked about, uh, where you find like these secondary, like subtle train edges. Yep or habitat edges um, off a, a harder edge. And he started focusing on that, and he's picked up a bow for the first time in 2022. His first year bow hunting, instead of hunting these permission properties, he started hunting public land. He hunted six different pieces of public land, if I remember the story correctly. He killed eight deer with his bow on public land, his very first year bu- yeah. hunting public land. And then shot two bucks with his rifle on public land as well. Yeah. That's he, awesome. he was one buck away from tagging out and just had a mishap with a bow and wasn't able to recover uh, recover the buck. 
in his first year to the podcast, he's like, dude, everything I learned, it was from the podcast. Everything pod. And the crazy thing about it, you're like, that's a lot of deer. Like, especially like eight deer with a bow. Like, dude, you're freaking on fire. He's like, I missed 13 or 15 other deer with the bow on top of the ones <laughs> I killed. And I'm like, I can't. That is crazy, dude. When you think turkey calls, think of Houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configurations. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB Hen, some days I might like the Ghost Cut. Some situations I might like the Country Girl Call, you know, that I can cut on really hard where on other situations I might like the all pro that I can get a little bit softer on. Bottom line, there's something for everybody and something for every situation and hey, you can get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls by using the promo code SOP 24. That's SOP 24. Use that promo code. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable. Like, everybody's jaws were dropping. Like, when I, we were out there with Mike and Sam, we were all super impressed. I mean, it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke. And Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. It's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T-R-U-L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with true lock. We were talking about that. I was like, that is a very high ratio of like, like how many times I'm assuming he hunted versus how many times he, when he went hunting that he got to shoot at a deer. I'm like, dude, you're getting a crack at one like every well, hunt. One thing he said, and, and guys, you're going to want to listen to his interview because I interviewed him on this episode that's going to come out here in maybe a couple of weeks or a yeah. week or so. Um, 
and he he's on it again, Tracy Brooks. Um, and he talked about he's like it took him a lot of bow season, like it took him October into November before he started figuring out how to hunt those uh, habitat edges. Mm-hmm. But when he figured it out, he's like nearly every time I'd go in the woods, whether I went in blind or I scouted my way into a spot. If I sat there, I had an opportunity at a deer nearly every time I sat in the woods once I figured that out. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, bro, rub some of that stuff off on me. <laughs> For real, man. Find that pattern and hammer down on it. And it, I mean, he and he killed one. Uh, he like he killed two nice bucks last year, but one of them was a really good deer. Like a really, really good buck. And especially on public land. Oh, yeah. Like just a great deer. And I'm like, dude, like, and one thing that was kind of impactful about him that I got really excited about is you know him talking about he's like you know hopefully sometime in the future i can you know get skilled enough where maybe i could you know be a guest on the podcast i'm like dude you are on that track like we've had guests on the podcast that went from being a listener of the show and we started learning some things to actually applying it really successfully yeah actually became guests on the show yeah um one that god what is his name my mind's going blank from arkansas uh aaron last name starts with r uh ral 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 yep. Uh, he he was one of them that uh, I think we interviewed him last year, uh, who kind of went from a listener to being a guest on the podcast. Yep. And uh, I had a I had a guy at the Deer Expo from Georgia, uh, Ben Dewitt. He um Ben, I'm sorry if I just pronounced your last name wrong. I'm pretty sure I got it right though. He was on he was on the episode that's gonna be coming out here soon, and he he actually was a listener success story that he wrote in with, and it it had posted. I scheduled it to post, and it, it dropped like the day before the expo or something. And he happened to be at the expo, and he came by. He's like, hey, man, and he told me his name. And uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, yours just dropped. And we got to talking about how he killed this deer. And I interviewed him and everything, and we went over you know, how he was looking at se- like these little secondary ridge points coming off this pine thicket. And I had like this whole idea in my head of like what this looked like. And he's like, well, I'll just show you. And he pulled out his phone, and he pulled up his Onyx and showed me exactly where he shot this buck and what those secondary ridge points that he was hunting looked like. And it looked way different than I had in my head, but it it looked it was the kind of stuff that I I struggle with in uh, like just around here. Like even when I'm hunting in Georgia, it was the kind of secondary ridge points where I'm like, is that really a ridge point? You know, oh, it was a real subtle one. Yeah, it was very subtle, and uh, and it was like a subtle pine edge too. It was one edge pine meeting another edge pine, and there was like a little pocket of pines, and he was hunting in that pocket. It was fascinating, and I was like, "Dude, I was I was grilling him, dude. I was like, okay, explain this to me, explain that to me, and I was picking up stuff from him and learning from him. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's a, and that's one reason I was excited to do that episode because when like you know me and me and Ben mm-hmm. essentially got the same information from whoever we interviewed, you know, like you know I was obviously on the podcast and then Ben listened to it. We both got the same tidbit of information, and he went and applied it in a, in a way different than I ended up applying it. And he ended up shooting a buck, and seems like he's really starting to get it figured out. So I'm like, well, what can I learn from you? Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. Um, by the way, how many interviews do you think we did? Have, have you been able like to look probably up? around 15 or so? Yeah, uh, I was copying them over a minute ago. It's definitely over 10. How long is it? I don't know. I haven't put them together yet. Oh god. I like. I just. I literally just. Uh, copied all that off. Interesting. Well, it, it's going to be super interesting for everybody to kind of listen to and also watch. It's going to be on YouTube as well. We filmed the whole thing. Uh, but just some of the different uh, listeners' thought process on different topics 
and like what was impactful for him. It was all fascinating because there's some commonalities between them, and there's others that like really stood out as like you know bringing up like you know one of the guys brought up uh, that that I interviewed um, the uh, episode we did with Tom Brownlee episode three fifteen talking about all about scent and like how that changed his perspective on entrance and exits exit routes when it comes to like breaking branches or like you know stepping on a bunch of stuff where you're leaving a ton of ground scent and mm-hmm. kind of like minimizing that and that's kind of like paid off for him where he's like trying to find exit routes where he can get in and out of stuff where he's not having to bust through a lot of things that it's going to leave a ton of ground scent and i'm like yeah that's that's pretty fascinating as well but yep uh, definitely we, we got some new q a's by the way oh we got a bunch of new q a's long story short guys expo uh, world air expo was an absolute blast next year i'll say this Make sure if you're like in Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, Tennessee, I would highly come next year because next year we've got us, Michael Perry, who Michael Perry was sitting next to us. He had a booth right next to us this year yep. uh, with his state record muzzler buck and all of his big deer. It's going to be us, Michael Perry, and Daniel Lemon and Jeremy Aaron all side-by-side with Do It Yourself Hunter. We're all going to be side-by-side next year uh, in a very – awesome spot uh it kind of more towards the entrance of the building so it's gonna be oh i'm so excited yeah but, it's good it's a really good spot i'm yeah. excited about it yep um all right let's kick off these uh q and a's so first up uh mike worth the q and a's how do people submit q and a's like oh, yeah. talk about this so uh to submit a q and a go to the southern outdoorsman.com there's a whole page called lister q and a and it'll bring you to a little submission form you go drop it in there and we'll answer it on the show yep so absolutely have loved these interviews or love these uh, Q&As guys. So That's so fun. We've had a lot of people write in. Again, you can go to the website or maybe we can put a link in the show notes. Put put a little heat on you. Put it in the show notes. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's a, oh, yeah. It's in the show notes. I already do that. I was going to say, so you can go down to the show notes in the podcast episode, guys. So scroll down. You can look at it um, and just submit the Q&As. I, I love these things. And like we've had some awesome, we had some awesome feedback. I had some guys tell me, some listeners at the show, that they've been enjoying the Q&As as well. Because one of the guys, uh, the guy was talking about hunting Illinois, he came by. Oh yeah, yeah. And he was like, "Dude, that was me, man!" Like it was crazy. When my I was bu- like, "You better tell me how you do up yeah, there." He's like, "He's like, he's like, man, my buddy called me. Whatever, he said, man, you won't listen to this week's episode." He's like, <laughs> he's like they name drop you at the end of it. Oh, that's so, awesome. Anyway, all right. First up, Mike uh, Dameron, D A M R O N. I think that's how you say that. Dameron, man. It's sorry if I'm getting these names wrong, man. All right. Uh, how would you hunt select cut pines with a saddle? There's no cover besides those small breakable limbs until you get too high to be able to shoot into the undergrowth. Too high to be able to shoot into the undergrowth. I haven't had that issue in select cut pines necessarily. Typically, in my experience in select cut pines, the higher you get, the more shot, the more shot opportunities you get. Yeah. Typically. Now, his may have a lot more sapling understory. Yeah, that's that's what it sounds which, like to me. Which, when I say more shot opportunities, I'm not talking about early season. Early season is rough. Slug yep. cut pines in October, even November in the Deep South, are pretty miserable because mm-hmm. the leaves haven't fallen off a lot of the saplings. A lot of saplings, at least where we're at, you're going to have some... They're, ma- they're hanging on until well, mid-November. Well, you're going to have maples, you're going to have some sweet gums, maybe some uh, poplars. poplars. Sometimes. Um, and, you know, typically a lot of those trees have pretty big leaves on them, those saplings. So, like, when you climb up in that stuff, like, yeah, you, you can't shoot through it. Now, after it falls off, even with a bow, you can still have opportunities of shooting some of that stuff, and definitely with a rifle. Like, sometimes in select cut pines, I've been in a spot where I shot a doe. It's on, actually, it's on the YouTube channel. Shot a doe with my pistol, my handgun, on a uh, uh, management area hunt in Alabama on some public land. And I was in select cut pines that when you were on the ground, you literally could not see 10 yards. But when I got 
I, I think I, I might probably broke 30 feet uh, in that pine tree I climbed up in, um, in the saddle. Um, I could see down into it. It made it look like it was wide open. Now, oh, this, yeah. this was like later in the year. This like in December. But when you got up that high, you could see, I could see for 150 yards into that some of that stuff. And yeah, the further you get away, it's just a little bit harder to kind of see into it. But anything within 60 yards of me, it looked like it was nearly wide open. Yeah. Like when you get high enough up, you can like shoot past all those saplings. So you can do it bow hunting or with a gun hunt. Or yeah. With gun. But what's, what's your take on it? Um, it, it sounds to me like maybe maybe there's not much undergrowth that he needs to see into. I don't know. Like I'm trying to picture like what this looks like, but basically like the, the root of the question, like how would you hunt a select cut pine with a saddle basically with no cover? Oh, um, oh. that that's like essentially what he's asking. Like, how do you conceal yourself? I don't. But yeah. That, so this is the advantage. I think of like the saddle aspect in that. Um, if you, now, sometimes in the select cut pines, it's hard to figure out where the deer come from. Like, they 360 degrees, you know, kind of pulling a, a Carl Brown from last week's episode. You know, you kind of get in the middle of some of that stuff, and maybe you find, like, a like a subtle ditch running through it that's got some thicker cover on it, something that potentially deer are going to work the edge up. But when you hunt in select cut pines, in my experience, I want to get as high as I can get, <clears throat> whether I'm using a climber, whether I'm using sticks with a lock on or a saddle, or if I'm going to be one sticking, which we're going to do this year, and try to get as high as I feel comfortable shooting from, mm-hmm. especially like if you're bow hunting. Like if you can get, if you can break that 25 to 30 foot mark, I think you're doing pretty good. Like, yeah, the shot angle is going to be pretty rough if it's inside 15 yards. Um, but it seems like in slut cut pines, especially if there's some kind of understory with like saplings, in my experience, the deer aren't typically looking up in that. Now, if it's wide open pines and there's no ground store, there's no saplings or anything, it maybe they're a little more cautious about looking up, but they've got stuff all in their face when they're walking through there. In my experience, I don't have deer very often look up in those situations, but what's your take? Yeah, I mean, I would just I would just do the best you can. I mean, you know, in that kind of situation, you just have to like I like to look up at the at the canopy and like look at about how high I'm going to climb. So if I'm like getting 20 feet up, I'll look about 20 feet up in the pine and like what's behind that pine tree. Like, is there just more canopies? Is it kind of broken where you can kind of see the sky through it and everything? You can see a lot of the sky. Yeah, you can see a lot of the sky. Because then if if there's truly just no cover on the tree, then you're going to have to worry about back cover and like what's going to break up your outline. So if there's a deer trail and you think these these deer are going to be working down this trail, you need to like look up at all these different trees you could possibly get in and look and see what's behind those trees in the background and don't get in a spot where there's like a lot of daylight coming through where you're going to be kind of skylined. You know, if there's like a, you know, like a like a taller cedar, you know, back behind it, even if you're not within like 10 yards of that cedar, you know, that cedar's maybe 10 yards behind you, but it it's blocking that skyline and so it just gives you something a little bit more solid to use as a backdrop for yourself. That's a good way to break up your outline. And that's about the best you can do in that situation. Like, if you're limited on how high you can climb, you just have to look for decent back cover. And or get in a tree big enough that you can hide behind it with, if you're saddle hunting. Yeah, and it depends on how big these ponds are that he's, you know, in. But typically in those bigger select cut ponds, when you when you start talking, I'm just going to guess, trees are in like that 18-year, maybe not 15, 15's a little young, but probably like 18, like, they're big enough, you put a climber on, and like, you know, you got to stretch that cable out a little bit, you know, you, I don't know, but probably 18 to 20-year-old pines, like, almost to the age they're about to cut it, like, they do that last thinning, 
when like you know they've done that thinning and like probably the next time they go in there they're clear cutting the whole thing yep those trees like you said andrew like you know they're big enough where you can kind of hide behind it like you know i'm still gonna stick out from behind it. it's whatever <laughs> but the advantage i feel hey, we're like, working on that yeah the, we've been going to the gym yep the the advantage yeah andrew almost died this morning by the way guys at the gym like, yeah I, I almost, that's actually true i almost had to take him to the er he he's like all right he, let's he, go to, let's go to the er i was like could, you're not taking me to the ER. he couldn't hang hang with a fat guy doing the exact same workout <laughs> as him. it's terrible but anyway um, you know that's a. Never, side, I'm that's, never gonna live it down. That's a side note. No, every time we're talking about it, like he he might be skinnier than me, but daggum, his heart's not as good a shape as his fat kid. Dude, I got a fat kid heart. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> no. Um, also an advantage I feel like with the saddle when you up there because you're leaning at you know nearly a 45 degree angle, maybe like 30 degree angle off that tree. I've had does look up at me like that doe I shot with the pistol, big old doe. Okay, mm-hmm. and had a fawn with her. She came in from behind me, and I know for a fact, when she stopped at about 15 yards from me, she looked right up at me. And I just froze. I didn't even look at her. I just froze until I heard her start walking again. And the second I heard her start walking again, she was coming to my left, coming behind me to my left, kind of at my 8 o'clock position. Kind of like started peeking my head over, looking down at her. And when I saw she wasn't looking up at me, drew the gun off the chest holster, spun around, shot her. Um it, it's again a lot harder if you're talking about grab, trying to grab your rifle that's hanging on the side of the tree or grabbing your bow that's hanging on the side of the tree but I mean you just gotta do what you can in, in that situation but you know by the way something kind of funny about like how high you're, you're getting up um, I, I went over to uh, my mom and stepdad's house and me and Mike were in the front yard Mike's my stepdad we uh, we were in the front yard uh, practicing like climbing and stuff because you know he he just got his first climber. I just got the one stick. Mm-hmm. Um, whoa, 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 you didn't get a one stick. You're borrowing my one stick. So I'm bumming Jacob's one stick. Clarify, there you go. Yeah, so I'm practicing with that because I just got the little uh, gree thing to to repel with out of the tree. Mike's up in his climber and uh, Mike throws the climber on the tree and he starts climbing up and we're talking and I'm standing on the ground like kind of walking him through it and everything. And I'm like, yeah, a lot of people, you know, like they think that they are getting way higher in the tree than they really are. And I'm standing like 20 yards from him. I'm like, because when you get up there, like your vantage point changes so much, you feel like you're you're mm-hmm. you're taller than you are. And I was like, how high up do you think you are right now? He's like, I mean, probably at least 18 or 20 feet. And like from my perspective, like I kind of giggle. I was like, I thought he was joking at first, <laughs> and. uh I was like, 18 or 20? He's like, yeah. And so I walked over there and grabbed the bottom of his platform with my hand. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. I was like, but hey, that's just an example. Like, you know, especially someone who's newer like him, you think you're way higher in the tree. Now, like when you're standing on top of that platform, sure, you're like a little bit, you know, closer to that height and it's not quite as egregious, but but still, you know, like it, it can be very deceiving. Like, very deceiving. You know, I, I'm like, you'll hear a lot of guys who are like, oh, I was 35 feet up. I'm like, they were probably 18 feet. Mm-hmm. You know, like, legitimately. They were like 25 max. Yeah, if, I always say this. If you, you know, ain't if, adjusting if, that platform. If you're not, yeah, if you're in climber, if you're not adjusting that platform a couple times, that's just not the case. Or, also, if you're carrying a 30-foot pull-up rope and there's slack on the ground, you're not at 30 feet. Yeah. And it's like typically like you're going to go on those spots. Like I kind of go back to that spot. I was in South Alabama where I filmed that buck come by me. And I had to tie two 30-foot pull ropes. And I measured to the platform roughly like at 43 feet. And I, had, I think I had to adjust that platform and the top four times on the way up that pine tree. Yep. Um, but like I had a deer at 35, 40 yards come by me. 
and when I show people the video, they're like, "Oh my god, dude!" <laughs> like freaking out. Like it look, like, looks silly. Yeah, like you, you couldn't like if you shot it, if you try to shoot a deer with a bow at that height, like. I don't know how you you spine the deer. Yep. Like there's there's no way to get a double lung at that height, bow hunting. Um, but we're, anyway, we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do two more Q and A's because I think we're gonna have to kind of punt this one. But this one is from Tyler Jones. He says, Jonathan Moreland mentioned uh, several times in y'all's most re- recent episode. He's referring to the round table about hunting the right lunar phase. He also mentioned not hunting evenings or mornings due to certain lunar phases. Could y'all go more in depth with what this means? He also mentioned not hunting evenings or mornings due to certain lunar phases. So I don't think he said that statement, did he? I don't think he said not hunt a morning based off. Oh, me, he's like, I'm hunting whenever I can. He's like, if it lines up, it lines up, but I'm not not going hunting. So maybe he's talking about Jeremy. I know Jeremy talked about it. Like Jeremy specifically mentioned a couple mm-hmm. times that like, you know, if it, you know if I if I have enough time to hunt. He's like, if it doesn't line up, I'm not going in the woods. But Jonathan, did, I don't think Jonathan made that statement. I think Jonathan, if I remember, I'd have to go back and listen. Yeah, I, I, I'm almost certain Jonathan had mentioned that. I think I think you're right. Yeah, though. Jonathan's like, I'm going to hunt when I can because I just I don't have a ton of time to hunt. If it lines up, great. But if it doesn't line up, I'm still going to the woods. Yeah. Um. Let's see. It, it, what was, name, what was the name of the guy again? Tyler, Tyler Jones. Okay. Well, this last guy. Who, who's the last one we get? Uh, no, no, next one. Um, so I'm trying to think with Tyler's uh, question, the right lunar phase. Do we have an episode where we kind of go yep. in depth on, yep. do you remember what it is? Yep. I'll look it up. Is it with, who is it with? Bill, 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 Bill Vale. Yep. All right. You, uh, you look up that episode real quick. I'm going to go, go ahead and go to the next question and we're going to circle back to that one, um, here in a minute. All right. This is the last one. This is a, this is a great question. This is from Adam Reeves. Uh, hey guys, I love y'all's podcast and I listen to every episode on the way to and from work. We appreciate that. Had a tough year last year having encounters with two great bucks, but just couldn't finish the deal. What would be your number one tip for getting over the tip of the iceberg from just being on the deer to actually killing a good deer? I got. I, I feel like I got a lot to say on this one. Uh, uh, I was a little distracted. I didn't, zoned out? I don't remember. Can you repeat for me? What was the guy's name again? Adam Reeves. Adam, we're giving you a shout out. There you go. So he said, basically, what what's your number one tip? He saw two good bucks last year, but couldn't finish the deal. Mm-hmm. What's your number one tip for getting over the tip of the iceberg from just being on the deer to actually killing a good deer? Shooting quicker. <laughs> I mean, true. I'd be curious about the situation. Uh, Are you bow hunting? Happened. Yeah, so, so listen, if you're going to submit more listener success stories, got or not listeners? I'm sorry, Q and A's. Um, Give us as much details as possible. Like, if you, in that situation, are you bow hunting? Are you gun hunting? Are you hunting with a muzzleloader? Like, give us a little bit more background. Like, cause it just well, gives a better idea. Well, so, I mean, regardless, though, of, like, the background here, um, we did an episode with Bobby Worthington that covers this, like, very specifically. And I, I think that is, uh, like, preparing for the preparing for the kill itself, you know? Um, we did that episode with Bobby, and he was talking about how how, like meticulous and how in-depth he goes with when he's setting up a tree stand about where his shooting lanes are going to be uh how the wind like what the deer is able to see when he's coming in uh like him i think he might have even said something about like kind of like checkpoints he's like when the deer gets right here i'm going to be doing this when the deer gets right here i'm going to be doing that when the deer gets right here i'm going to draw you know and and he uh 
he's setting up his hunt as though like he knows exactly what that deer is going to do with confidence. And uh, also that also ties into something that that has actually helped me, and it's not something that we talked about on our show, but it's something I heard Cody DeQuisto talk about one time, and that is he's like he I think he was saying he used to set up where there's like three different trails and he's kind of getting in the middle where he could potentially shoot each one. And he's like, now I've changed to where I'm hunting one trail and I'm setting myself up absolutely perfectly for that one trail. And, uh, that's something that's cost me a bunch of good deer in the past is I'm setting up, I'm choosing a mediocre setup. So, cause I'm, I'm getting kind of greedy cause I'm like, well, I might be able to shoot that or that or that. And I don't really have a great shot at any of them. And I, I let a deer get past me or I don't have a good enough shot, you know, and I can't take a shot or I miss, hit a limb or something because I didn't give myself enough of a shooting window. Um, so, like, confidence in your setup and setting up like you're going to kill something. Like, like be, have the confidence that, like, I, something's going to walk down this trail, so I need to be in the absolute perfect position to, you know, kill that thing. This guy's license reuse, right? Yes. Okay. So, uh, Reeves, the episode I'd go back and listen to for all listeners out there that's really relative to this, uh, it's episode 297. Title is Closing the Deal with Bobby Worthington. And he goes in great detail, kind of like what we're talking about here about his thought process on setting up his spots when he goes out and hunts. So, like, he has that opportunity. He goes through, like, this mental checklist of how he executes when he bow hunts. And I think it's super valuable, whether you're gun hunting or bow hunting. Um, taking some really good information out of that. You know, like you said, I, I think another thing is sometimes you only get one opportunity with those deer. Yep. So it's like if he gets by you, especially during the rut, there might not be another chance he's going to come back by. The next day he might be a mile and a half from you on a different doe group. Um, and, and it goes back to another episode we did with Jim Forbes from Virginia where he's like, when you get that opportunity, you do everything in your power and get a, get an opportunity to shoot that deer, whether you're gun hunting, bow hunting. Yep. You know, when you get the first, uh, you know, ethical shot, um, he talked about, uh, he keeps a journal, um, of all the deer he's killed and all the conditions, all that kind of stuff. I'm probably ought to do another episode with him about that. Uh, um, yeah. But, um, that's one that's overdue. Yeah. And, but he talked about, he's like, I average from the time I see that mature buck to the time I shoot him. And he's a big gunner. doesn't really bow hunt anymore. It's five seconds. Yep is a five second window between when I lay eyes on them and when I get my gun up and take a shot opportunity. Um, and, and I think that's a huge, huge, huge point is so many, it's cost me some deer where I try to wait for a better shot with the rifle and maybe he's broadside, he's quartering too, something like that. But like, maybe like, you know, there's a limb I need to kind of lean around or something like that. That's, you know, 30 yards in front of me and the deer's at 60 yards. Um, but getting that first good shot opportunity at that deer you're going to kill more deer. Michael Parrish says the same thing. First good shot opportunity I get, I'm taking it. I'm not waiting for a better shot opportunity uh, to potentially present itself or that deer to walk directly away from me or run or spook or whatever. Um, yep. And I think that's huge because there's a the deer goes back. He would have been, if I would have killed this deer, it would have been uh, one of the biggest bucks. It, it, well, as of right now, it would be my biggest buck I've ever killed in Alabama if I would have killed him. Uh, and it was on our family farm. And it was a deer... Um, he was walking and I thought I could stop him at like hundred yards and I was, I felt comfortable taking the shot, but I didn't stop him. I got two words up in the situation. He just like walked through this giant opening, uh, right on the edge of these uh, thick pines. And it was a, just a really big 10 or really big nine point. Probably like he's, 
he was in that – when I say real big for this area, he, he was in the probably the upper 120s. He might have broke 130 as a nine-point. Um, and just didn't execute the shot, didn't execute the opportunity that was given to me. Um, and that kind of comes to knowing your equipment, knowing what you're physically capable of. Because if you're not capable of, you know, taking a shot like that or anything, you know, you, you have more things working against you. Um, but but I think that's a, that's a huge point. Now, now, bow hunting, I feel like another thing that's cost me that I can bring up is not being fully aware of what's happening around you while bow hunting. Not so much gun hunting, but bow hunting where, like, you don't hear that deer coming in until he's 20 yards from you, and you're, like, pinned at yep. that point. You're like, I can't make a move. If I try to make a move, I'm going to get busted. Had a deer in Arkansas two years ago hunting the mountains. Um, they actually, I called in, did a grunt sequence after we interviewed Richard Fott, and uh, had two bucks come in behind me. One was a really, 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 really good eight-point. Um at 25 yards, and I was hunting with a muzzleloader, and I was looking in the opposite direction. He came in directly behind me, kind of with a crosswind. And by the time I could spin around the tree, he busted me. And like, and I, I wasn't aware of the surroundings. And also thinking about, based off the habitat I'm in, where's that deer going to come from? Well, more than likely, he's probably going to come through the thick cover behind me instead of like the more open side of the ridge in front of me. So I should have been already been looking that way, and I didn't, and it cost me a deer. So I think that's huge is being like aware of your surroundings and your setup with your gun hunting, bow hunting, hunting with a muzzleloader. And, and truly thinking, especially if you're calling or if you're in an area like maybe during the rut or something and you don't necessarily know where the deer's coming from, more than likely he's going to come th- from the thickest cover closest to you if he's going to be coming, if you're in a really good pinch point. So pay attention to that. If that's behind you, you might want to spin around a little bit so you can watch that section and watch that area. Yep, definitely. Also, there's there's something to be said about just having experience like killing deer. You know, like I, I don't know, I don't know where he is like on that path or whatever, but uh, you know, we talk about guys in the Midwest. It, it's kind of crazy, like how different they are when it comes to like killing bucks. You know, like a guy who's been hunting for a long time, they only get one buck a year. In some you know, of those states, yeah, yeah, in some of those states, and so he's like, he's maybe only killed like, like eight bucks or something over like a like year, like a long period of time. And uh, meanwhile, you can have guys down here who are shooting three bucks a year. You know, and, well, and that killing experience, pays you know, off. pays off and. But but even though it's it's even different though for like big like really big deer and just deer like there's definitely a lot of translation there like if you just go out and hammer a lot of deer like uh like that listener from the show who killed eight last year mm-hmm. like that's that's awesome that's gonna help him when like a huge deer comes out in front of him he's gonna have like that experience but at the same time there's something to be said too about like you're just gonna have to get those deer in front of you and screw up on them. I mean, like I'm I'm a perfect example of that. Tell us about that. So like so in my life, I've killed. I'm in the 40s in deer, which for a guy my age, that's like that's a pretty good amount of deer to have killed like over the course of your life or whatever. And uh, and last year, you know, I'm I'm so confident. I've killed like 40 some odd deer with a rifle or uh, just in general, and like I don't know how many with a rifle. Like probably at least 35 of those have been with a rifle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so like with the rifle, dude, I'm like perhaps overconfident, you know? And then last year, dude, that big buck I'm doing, I've for years, I've just done good, but that, that really big deer stepped out. And I mean, I freaking whiffed like, a, I mean, like it was my first day in the woods, dude. So that just goes to show that like, even though you had all that killing experience, you know, when I had, when it was the moment of truth, I'm like a deer, like I don't have a lot of experience with that kind of deer in front yeah. of me. Yeah. You know, now I do. I have a little bit more experience, so on the next one, I don't do that. You know, 
and, and you know the next day i ended up shooting that buck yeah. um but yeah killing experience man like if you i don't know how much you have because like i'm just going off what's in the q a but if you've only killed like a couple deer like i'd go on a little bit of a tear dude and i'd 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 lay the woods with some does or something this year mm-hmm. too and and that's also how you work on what you're talking about like getting a shot off quick you know like so like you know just whatever the yeah. situation calls for yeah, and the dynamic t- range of situations and this is different we're not talking about hunting on a food plot where they're coming out there and they're spending some time there we're talking about when you're in the timber maybe you're on a feed trail or something like that but like typically if you're not on a feed tree and it's just a transition area it's, it's a travel corridor you have a short window of time that that deer is going to be walking through, easing through your spot. And it's not like you're in necessarily a complete wide open area where you get tons of shot opportunities. So like mm-hmm. the first, like when you see the deer, this is one thing that, you know, I pay attention to, I think a lot of listeners probably pay attention to, to this, but some maybe don't. When that buck comes in, especially, or if you're trying to kill a doe, it's not just watching that buck or watching that doe that you're trying to kill, especially if it's maybe not at your range, like say you're bow hunting or something like that. But looking ahead of where they're walking for 20 yards ahead of them, and like, okay, where's my next shot opportunity? Where's my next shot opportunity? Yep. And not just getting so fixated on the animal that, like, you just keep watching it, and you kind of miss, like, oh, there's a huge opening coming, but you don't see it because you're watching the deer, and by the time he's in the opening, you're not prepared to take the shot. Um, and I think that's huge as well uh, about when you see that buck, like my, uh, the mountain buck I killed last year, that the, the big six-point, um, that real old deer. When he came out on that doe, he was in some crazy thick stuff. I mean, all I could see was his, like, antlers and the top of his head and his eyes. And as he's walking, kind of quartering up towards me, I'm looking 30, 40 yards ahead of him if he can get there of where I should have a shot opportunity. Like, I'm looking ahead where that deer should come to based off how he's walking now. And then I'm watching the deer. I'm looking back ahead and kind of lining everything up so I kind of know what hole is he probably going to come out to that I can get ready for him. And then as he's coming into that spot, whether it's with your bow or with your gun, you already have that area kind of picked out. And a great example that you did this and executed really well. One of your bow bucks you killed a couple years ago that's filmed on the YouTube channel. Uh, killed him on a pine edge. And crazy thick. Oh, yeah. And, and I think you probably did the same thing. We're like, hey, you had to pick one window, and it's about the size of, like, a, a, a saucer plate. You know, probably, I don't know, maybe 10 inches wide. It wasn't huge that you shot into. Where that buck was coming around the edge of that pine thicket, he was in the pe- edge of the pine thicket. He was in the pine. Yeah, he was like 12 but, yards in the pine thicket. But when he was walking through, like, you couldn't shoot him for a long portion, but, like, you had to pick that spot he was about to walk into. And before he even got there, you were drawn back, settled on that spot. And when he stepped out there, you freaking let it rip, and freaking he didn't make it very far. Yeah. Yeah, if you watch that video, too, I actually hit a limb on the way to him and, like, cut cut some leaves off. Like, you can see him fall and everything. Yeah. But, yeah, no, that's a really good point, though, about, like, kind of watching out in front of that deer. And that's another thing, like, going back to my stepdad, Mike, where I took him on his first squirrel hunts this last year. And we were out squirrel hunting. And, you know, you have a squirrel, you know, timbering or, or running around. Or, or we had one that was in this one oak tree, and it was doing its thing, you know. What they'll typically do is they'll run up the tree, and they'll run down a limb, and they'll, you know, be looking for, you know, a ripe hickory nut or whatever, like if they're in a hickory tree. They'll be looking for like a ripe nut and they're going to like pluck it off and they're going to run somewhere else and they're going to sit there and eat it for a minute. And sometimes when they're looking for a, a nut, they'll like be running all over the tree and they're just kind of all over the place. Well, we were like right under, we had stalked right up underneath this thing and we were looking up and it was running around and Mike had the gun up and he was kind of aimed and he was looking down the barrel of the gun and he'd be like trying to aim 
and like find the squirrel at the same time and the squirrel would be like over here now and I'm like no 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 it's over there and we were like having to look around and everything and like it made me realize like that again like the inexperience of that like knowing how to like kind of calm down and like look for the game and, and like what it's going to do and adjust quickly again that's another way that squirrel hunting helps with that but I'm like hey like I mean this squirrel didn't know we were there it was just doing its thing but I was like hey like lower the gun like don't shoulder the gun until you're about to like kill the squirrel like watch it watch what it's doing see where it's going and when you see it's about to run through that open limb throw up get on that limb let him run into it and kill him hmm. you know and we ended up killing the squirrel but it's the exact same thing with with a deer like you gotta you gotta read the body language of the animal and see where it's going and kind of you know, stay out ahead of it and be ready to take the 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 first opportunity that you got because that's another way I got burned a couple years ago. Is uh, I had a decent opportunity. You know, it was it was clear cut buck. Yeah, it was it was mm. I, I was using gear I was unfamiliar with, wasn't super confident with it, so I didn't know exactly like what I could get away with with this gun. And looking back, I definitely could have killed this deer. And he he walked through an opening where there was just a little bit of brush, something that I would have not thought twice about with a rifle. But I'm using a muzzleloader. Never used a muzzleloader before. And so he was walking towards this, I mean, just wide open opening. And uh, I let him get through that first gap thinking he was, I mean, he just had to walk five more feet and he'd be in that wide open spot. And he didn't. You know, he ended up turning and going back in the thicket. And so I literally just let him walk right through my opening, you know. And, uh, and, that goes to show that when they give you an opportunity, you better take it, yeah. you know? And that goes into what, like, Jim and some of those other guys, Michael Perry says that a lot. Like, dude, you take the at the first shot that you get, the first decent shot you get, you better take it. Well, I'll tell you this. It almost, almost not necessarily almost cost me, but it, it got a little sketchy on the SOA buck that I shot. Because yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I did not do that. I let them get through quite a few really good openings, but I wanted – and it's getting a little selfish. I wanted really good footage of the deer because I knew I knew Which how we got. I knew where you were at and kind of how you're shooting like the camera past me and you were kind of behind a tree. So I'm like, I, I'm like, I can shoot him here, but I don't think he's gonna be on camera. And it's like I can see him good, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure Andrew can't see him. Like I'm just gonna keep letting him walk, keep letting him walk. And I let the, if if you weren't there, I would have shot the deer way, way, <laughs> way sooner, like 75 yards sooner oh, of yeah. where he walked. But, Man, I was filming that. I was like, "Well, hell, I guess he's passing it." <laughs> well, I just I kept letting him go, kept letting him go. And again, this is what not to do, guys. Especially you know if you're not filming and everything. Um, but again, I had opportunity to shoot him way sooner. But I let him walk to the point like he gets like 50 yards of us, and he's kind of he's going, he's walking at a decent pace. He's not trotting or anything, but he's walking at a good pace. Like he's going, he knows where that hot doe had just come through like an hour and a half previously, and he mm-hmm. was going that direction. And I thought he was gonna get on this pretty good opening in the grass and come to find out he's all behind the grass and i'm like oh crap if i come don't... to find out that grass is like seven feet tall and i'm like if i don't shoot him here like i'm not gonna get a shot because i knew what was again because i'd been paying attention what was on the other side of the grass and it was a lot more trees and timber and stuff like that and like a bunch of saplings i'm like if he gets past this grass i'm not gonna be able to shoot the deer so i stopped him in the grass drawn down right where his shoulder is pulled the trigger went through the grass freaking hit him and he made him, him. Know, 60 yards and went down but um yeah that that is so critical like you've got to be so aware of your surroundings not only like listening and looking for deer but also when he comes in or she comes in 
and you're looking for that shot angle, you got to be looking out ahead of that deer of like, where's your opening is going to be? Where's your shot opportunity is going to be? And execute when you get to that shot opportunity, the first shot opportunity you get. Yep, absolutely. All right, we got a review to read. I'm going to let you do it. Okay. So here you go. Uh, top one. Yep. All right, so this is from uh, so this is a review, guys, on Apple Podcasts. Appreciate everybody helping us out on Apple Podcasts. Um, I know a lot of you guys listen on Apple products. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, not only share the podcast with a buddy, but also go to Apple uh, Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five star written review, and we try to read off all the new reviews as they come in. So currently, we're sitting at one thousand and twenty five reviews. So this just came in. Uh, this is from Reality Video Man. Is his name on here? Title: Love the podcast. Five stars. Love the podcast and listen weekly. It's great to hear the it's great to hear from Southern hunters since so many podcasts seem geared towards the Midwest hunter. Nothing wrong with that, but it's not the same tactics as here. What's green to grain? I don't really know what that means, but <laughs> and it was some laughing emojis afterwards. And then below it says Jacob knows how to talk fast too. With a smiley face, which I definitely do talk extra. <laughs> Jacob fast. definitely does know how to talk fast. Yep. But uh, you gotta get all your words in, man. You know? Yeah. So that's right. But uh, anyways, appreciate that review, guys. So again, if you enjoy the podcast, you can go leave us a five star written review on Apple Podcasts. Greatly appreciate it. I know some of y'all listen on Spotify. You can leave us a five star review of that. Unfortunately, they do not allow written reviews. But go read the. You can uh, again uh, sign into your Apple account, sign that in, and also. Guys, come up with some creative names. Again, we're still waiting on Big Buck Nuts and Little Buck Nuts, which are two long-time reviewers, <laughs> to uh, give us another review. But uh, appreciate that. And it also, guys, appreciate everybody been watching the podcast or who has been watching the podcast on YouTube. Uh, it's been awesome kind of see that growth, seeing the engagement, seeing some of the questions coming in uh, from YouTube. So maybe at some point we might start reading some of those questions that come in from some of the YouTube videos. Yep. Uh, kind of pull like a little Andy Frisella, dude. Yep. Um, but uh, other than that, I'm trying to think, is there anything else going on? Oh, uh, it, I think by the time this drops, it's the month, month of August, which means it is the month that deer season kicks off for us. Yep. So... I mean, dude, it, I don't know about you, but this this summer has just absolutely screamed by for me. It has been, I'm like, it's been nonstop, dude. Between between like the expos and, and all kinds of stuff that we got going on, summer's gone by really fast, which I appreciate. So it's about time to actually start hitting the woods, man. I'm yeah. excited. So to start, I'm excited to start getting some more listener success stories rolling in. Uh, we, we've actually had some roll in from last year that uh that people had just didn't send in until like a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. but i've still got I've, I've got several a week dropping until the end of august still and i still have some left over so y'all keep y'all keep uh y'all keep dropping them in our inbox that's another well, thing you can go to the southernoutdoorsman.com there's a whole page for listener success right there you go drop in a picture of your deer and uh you know a brief summary of how your hunt went and uh and, and what what you learned from the podcast that helped you out and we will post that and it is very helpful to people, and it's really fun for us to get to see that. So make sure you ride in with those because we love seeing them. We also got some turkey ones in there Ooh. that people have sent. So I'm uh, I'm kind of hanging on to those. Yeah, we're gonna save those for the springtime. Also, I just talked to uh, one of our buddies, um, John Ball from Cash River Leather. I think we're gonna do some kind of like monthly giveaways for listener success stories come this fall. Um, really? Yeah. With John? Yeah, and also I'm gonna try to talk to a couple other couple other companies that um, might want to get on the action. So, uh, listeners, there is some incentive. Not only go kill you a good buck because it's fun and it's awesome and, you know, mm-hmm. it's cool when, you know, you kill a big buck in your friend group, but 
Uh, also, there's going to be an incentive to write in those rev- or write in those listener success stories because I think we're going to do monthly drawings. Uh, probably, if I had to guess, probably starting in October and, and run it through maybe going to February. Cool. Um, doing some monthly drawings based off. I think how we're going to structure, we're going to figure out some details. We might pick our top five favorite ones based off storyline and everything. And then we might put it up for the listeners uh, and followers to vote on on social media uh, and, and kind of get some feedback there between which ones they like the best. That'd be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. That'd be really fun. Cool. Cool. You got anything else? No. Appreciate it, guys, joining us. Appreciate y'all watching on YouTube. And, uh, guys, we'll get you back here for uh, next Monday's episode from the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.